Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And then I'm also going to just touch on something. It's sort of a, a prelude to the message that talked to the men about a little bit last night. And it was a verse I was looking for and could not get the address on. But uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 10 says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I was talking to the men last night about how, how death was abolished by proclamation. And that is given to us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And by way of the resurrection of Christ, death committed suicide. By taking Christ, death did itself in. And science will tell you that if there's any such thing as infallible proof, and the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says that Christ is, was alive by many infallible proofs after his death, uh, science will tell you it's the repetition of the same experiment. So let's, let's do an experiment here. Christ rose from the dead. Mary Magdalene encountered him, experiment one. Then the women encountered him, experiment two. The disciples encountered him, experiment three. The apostles ex encountered him, that's experiment four. And then 500 at one time saw him. That's experiment number five. Then the Apostle Paul, experiment number six, and since then, millions have encountered him. When you read the book of Acts, when the apostles are preaching, they always came back to the resurrection. In fact, um, my preaching Bible here, I have it marked every time in the book of Acts. They come to the resurrection, and they keep just driving that point home and over and over throughout the book of Acts. One man said that despite man's efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. One other writer said, a German theologian in the early 1900s says that the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. Second, if you believe it, you have to change the way you live. And then on a more a lighter note, the family was driving to church on Easter, Easter Sunday, and uh, parents were telling the children the resurrection story. And they said, this is the day we celebrate Jesus came back to life. Right away, their three-year-old son piped up, is he going to be in church today? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, we hope so. Amen. When you really get down to it, his presence counts more than anything else. All right, Luke chapter 23, and let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, the special music, uh, the opportunity to sing ourselves, the time of worship, giving fellowship, and uh, praising your matchless name. Lord, as we contemplate some great truth from the Word of God, I realize that uh, I'm just to be a conduit, and Lord, I don't want to get in the way. 
And so we ask, Lord, that you'd bless your word, bear witness to it, and it is true that more than anything else, we need you here today. We're grateful for everyone else that's come, but more than anything else, we need your presence. So we ask, Lord, that you'd walk among us, speak to each and every heart, and we pray especially for those without Christ, that this would be the day of days for them. They'd come to know him and know their sins forgiven and the promise and guarantee of eternal life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about something that's often referenced about people when they die, or typically after they die, and that is their, their last words. When I think of the Apostle Paul, I'm brought to 2 Timothy chapter 4 just before his execution. He's before Nero the second time, the year is 67 AD, and he's given a charge to Timothy, the first bishop of the church at Ephesus. And really, these few verses take inventory of his entire life when he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. We often talk about the last words of famous people. And I want to talk to you a little bit uh, this morning about the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, or if you will, the last words of Christ before they put him into a grave. But of course, he would rise from the dead and have much more to say. And so in Luke chapter 23, if you'll look at verse 34, the first saying is one that we're all familiar with. In fact, I think even people that don't know Christ and don't read the Bible are familiar with this one, where he says, Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they do. This is the saying of forgiveness. And I want to spend a little extra time on this one because I think it's so important by way of example in our lives. Um, you look at verses 33 through 37, Christ says this in the midst of his opponents trivializing his death. You've got the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, shoving in at his face. Others he saved. Ha, himself he cannot save. The soldiers were saying the same thing. In another account, in another gospel, the Bible says that some of those soldiers were down at the foot of the cross gambling for his garment, drawing straws, rolling dice, if you will. And in the middle of all that trivializing, he's reaching out in an appeal to the Father to assuage God's momentary desire to release his wrath. They know not what they do. They were committing a great sin of ignorance. I think of how some of you and I were before we came to Christ. We were committing great sins of ignorance. I remember on more than one occasion, I had somebody try to witness to me, and I didn't know what they were doing, and I blew them off. I blew them off. If I had died without Christ, I would be spending an eternity regretting that moment. This saying of forgiveness is a profound one. The Apostle Paul, he said, I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I, 
But I obtained mercy, Paul said, because I, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul says to the Jews in Acts chapter 3, preaching to them and their leadership, he says, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. A saying of forgiveness. After languishing for months in Hitler's prison, Martin Niemöller emerged saying this, quote, it took me a long time to learn that God is not the enemy of his enemies. <laughs> forgiveness. Forgiveness is a good self-test. It's a good self-test to see how we're really doing spiritually. I think some of us may think we're advanced spiritually because of knowledge, works, or activity. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but a real acid test, a better indicator, is our level of forgiveness. Are we carrying around any bitterness of unforgiveness this morning? I think of the fruit of the Spirit and how they're incompatible with bitterness and unforgiveness. I think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And you say this morning, well, preacher, you have no idea what was done to me. Well, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think of Joseph, and I think of, I think of the mistreatment of his brothers, his siblings, to the point of even selling him into slavery and, and being willing to watch him die. And in Genesis chapter 45, we read Joseph revealing himself to his brothers after he became second in all of Egypt. He says, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. Now here's what Joseph was able to do, <coughs> excuse me, what some of you and I need to do this morning. Realize that even through things that are offenses against us, God can be working through those. Because Joseph goes on to say, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph was able to look at the bigger picture. Joseph was able to trust God even when he couldn't see what God's hand was doing. Later on in retrospect, he was able to see it. Genesis chapter 50. The Bible says, and when <coughs> Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph peradventure will hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. Did you ever notice how his brothers were habitual liars? <laughs> <coughs> and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. By the way, Joseph could have said, Hey, you're lying again. Well, we get so worried when people lie to us. I'm so used to people lying to me, I'm shocked when they tell the truth. <laughs> That's when I get nervous. Well, that person lied to me. You're a liar. <laughs> Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. A little boy in Sunday school was asked to define a lie. He says, it's a very present help in time of trouble. 
And then the Bible says, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. You know, when we are unforgiving, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And then he says, he says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, I love these words. You talk about words of graciousness. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. I think of this, I think of this sweet fragrance of the spirit of this regal patriarch. And, and you know what? Forgiveness isn't necessarily a warm feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision. How advanced or how challenged are you in this area? I said to you before, marriage is a relationship between two forgivers. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to fall over. You are not made to carry bitterness. Bitterness always eats the container that it resides in. The only thing that can release us from this sickness of bitterness is forgiveness. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at verse 43 in the same chapter, if you will. And the second saying is a wonderful saying because I believe it's maybe the best picture of salvation anywhere in the word of God, where he says, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And of course, he's responding to the penitent thief. If you look at verses 39 through 43, you see that the two thieves on the cross with Christ, one on one side and one on the other. And uh, one of the thieves repents at that moment while he's dying on the cross. And he rebukes his friend and he admits that he's a sinner and he admits he's getting what he's got coming to him. And then he turns to the Lord and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Folks, there's no better example of salvation anywhere in the word of God. And if you're here this morning without Christ and you don't know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, all you need to do is what that thief did. And you can afford to do no less than what that thief did. Think of it. There was no time for that thief to get down off the cross and join a church. There was no time for that thief to get down off the cross and live a good Christian life. There was no time for that thief to get down off the cross and get baptized. The only thing he could do is turn to the Son of God and admit in repentance that he was a sinner getting what he deserved. Are you willing to do that this morning? And I say emphatically, that's the hardest part for most people because we live in a day and age where the psychology that's been embedded into education, that's been embedded into, into entertainment, and the psychology that's been embedded into religion has gone from telling you that God looks at you as a sinner to making you feel like a victim. And God doesn't save victims. If you want to spend your life in bitterness, pointing your finger at God for all the things that happened because of your sin, you'll die without Christ and you'll go to hell. 
But if you're willing to do what this thief did and say, we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man, Jesus, hath done nothing amiss. And then say to Jesus what this thief said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Look what Jesus said to him. Look what he said to him. I mean, folks, this is profound. He, he says to him, look, look at verse Look at verse 43. Today, 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 they would be dead today. Shalt thou be with me in paradise. (laughs) Here was a man dying capital punishment. A reproach and a byword to his own family. And he would be with Jesus in paradise that day. That's how free salvation is, my friend. And all you got to do is agree with God about what he said about you. And that may be the hardest part. You say, well, I got religion. I'm a pretty good guy. You're still a sinner in need of a savior. Your religion is going to make you good enough to go to heaven. God's standard is Jesus Christ. And it's a standard of sinlessness. And heaven is a sinless place. And God isn't going to let one sin into heaven. You need a sinless Savior. This, this, this saying of assurance, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The third one is found in John chapter 19, if you'll turn there. John chapter 19. And the Lord Jesus Christ is on the cross bearing the sins of the world. We can only imagine uh, what is what is what he's, he's he's experiencing physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, body, soul, and spirit, and yet in John nineteen, if you look at verses twenty six and twenty seven, he he's sorting things out for his mother who's at the foot of the cross. He is sorting things out for his mother, who is at the foot of the cross. Um, down south, the character of a young man is judged by how he treats his mother. It's assumed at this point is that Joseph is gone, Joseph is dead, and Mary is widowed. And Mary is at the cross because Jesus is still her little boy. That's a mom. That's a mom. Once a mom, always a mom. Amen. Once a mom, always a mom. I remember at the age of 45 when I was diagnosed with chronic leukemia, the hardest phone call I made was to my mom. And and at the age of 66, I am still her little boy. And Mary is at the foot of the cross. And and notice what Jesus is doing. He's sorting things out for her. He's, He's taking care of her. And he says, woman, behold thy Son, pointing to John. John is there. Faithful John, that disciple whom Jesus loved. It's it's a saying of compassion. It's a saying of love. Mary is there. She is experiencing great bereavement. Sometimes children go home before the parents. They say in peacetime, They say in peacetime, sons bury their fathers. But in war, fathers bury their sons. He's making sure that Mary is provided for. He's making sure 
of her being taken care of. Think of that as he's on the cross. These first three sayings are from the first, or excuse me, from the third to the sixth hours, and they reference others. And then there's a a two-hour interlude, and then in the eighth and ninth hours, there are several more sayings that have to do with him. And for the next one, we go to Matthew chapter 27. And in Matthew chapter 27, another one that, that I believe most are familiar with, even if you're not too familiar with the Bible, this one is a saying of abandonment. A saying of abandonment. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is directly out of Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Spurgeon calls Psalm 22 the psalm of the cross. And we ask ourselves a question this morning. Is Jesus bewildered? Is he perplexed? This is one of the great mysteries of the cross. The Bible says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. It was at that time, suspended between heaven and hell, and naked in open shame, and by the grace of God, God the Father has to turn his back on his son and leave him bearing our sins. The Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why he was forsaken of the, of the Father? So that we would be accepted of the Father. He was forsaken because he was bearing your sins and mine during those hours on the cross. The next saying is found also in John chapter 19, if you'll turn back there. I'm giving these to you in chronological order. That's why we're having to go back and forth a little bit. But John chapter 19, John chapter 19, this is a real real short one, a real simple one, and yet a very profound one. John chapter 19 and verse 28, two words, I thirst, I thirst. You know why Christ thirsted on the cross? So you and I, you and I might have our thirst quenched. The water of life, the water of life himself, twice asked for water in his life. Once in John chapter 4 and once here, and it was never given any. He tasted the bitter for us, but rather he was given vinegar. What did this represent? This represented the brazen serpent upon the pole that Jesus referenced in John chapter 3. It referenced him suffering the pangs of hell for our sins. It references references, uh, Psalm 22 where he says, I I am a worm and a reproach of men. Mark chapter 9 where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He experienced all this for you and I. I think of the rich man in Luke chapter 16 who said, send Lazarus to cool my tongue, to to just give me a, a drop of water on my tongue and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And so it was with Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And then also in that same chapter, the sixth saying, if you look at verse 30, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The saying of a completed mission. The saying of a completed mission. That's why we're here this morning. Because Jesus completed his mission. Let me ask you a Christian this morning, and I don't have time to labor this point, but are you determined, are you determined as a believer at this moment to complete your life's mission for God? If you're not, make that determination today. Determine to be able to say with your Savior, when you pillow your head down for the last time, it is finished. You don't want to go to the judgment seat of Christ with, I quit. You want to go to the judgment seat of Christ with, it is finished. And this last saying, this, or, or excuse me, this sixth saying is the saying of a completed mission. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is finished. It is finished. You know what else that tells me? There's nothing else to do to complete salvation. It is finished. It is finished. You say, well, yeah, Jesus died for me, but I'll join the church in order to be saved. It is finished. <clears throat> Jesus died for me, but I'll be baptized for the dead. It is finished. Uh, Jesus died for me, but I'll be baptized for myself. It is finished. Jesus died for me, but I'll be a good person to atone for the rest of my sins. It is finished. It is finished. Hey, rest. Rest in his finished work. Can I say to some of you here this morning, either here in this building or looking on live stream, God is not going to co-op to get you to heaven. He's not going to allow you to have 2% of the credit. I know a lot of people, and I was like that. I was religious before I got saved. I was going in with God 50-50. <laughs> Thanks for dying for me, Lord. I'll do the other half. <laughs> no. Okay, Lord, you can do 75% of it. I'll do 25%. No. <laughs> All right, Lord, I'll let you do 90% of it. I'll do the other 10%. No. Paul says in the book of Romans, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Jesus Christ wants you to come and say, 
In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Not by works of righteousness, the Bible says, which we have done. You say, well, why? Why Why is that? Because you working your way to heaven is an insult to God. It's an insult to his righteousness, and it's an insult to the place. You're not going to pay for your sins. You don't even have the right currency. Just throw your case at the feet of Jesus Christ and let his blood cover your sins and let him get you there. Lastly, let's go back to Luke 23 and we'll finish there. Luke chapter 23. And the last of these seven sayings of Christ on the cross is found in verse 46. And it's a saying of rest and comfort when Christ says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And you know what? He is expecting And one of these days, his enemies will be made his footstool. If you're grieved as you look around you, and it seems that wrong is winning, and and evil is progressing forward at a tremendous rate, have no worries about it. God's going to have the last word. The Bible tells us in Revelation 19 that he's coming back one of these days as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's not going to have to join a political party and win an election. He's coming as a conquering monarch. And he doesn't care what the United Nations thinks about it. He doesn't, think, he doesn't care what the White House thinks about it. He doesn't care what the masses think about it. But he is going to rule for 1,000 years. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He is still expecting this. He is still looking forward to it. And his return is soon. His return is soon. You know, when you think of the last words of famous people, well, the book is closed on these people. They've said what they're going to say. And they're done. But not with Jesus Christ. He had much more to say personally to his apostles and then through all of his believers through the century. Why? Because of his resurrection. And let me ask you one final question this morning before we close. What's he saying to you today? What's he saying to you today? If you're a believer here this morning and you haven't made that commitment to get across to the finish line, You haven't made that commitment in your heart that you'll say with Jesus Christ, it is finished. It is finished. Listen, Christian, if you don't do that, something is coming down the road that will throw you off track. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Make up your mind now that you're going to cross the finish line. You're going to finish your race You're going to finish clean, and oh, by the way, 
Do like the Apostle Paul and finish with joy. Amen? What's he saying to you this morning if you don't know Christ? His word says, today is the day. Now is the time to be saved. You say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it a little bit more. I, I, I've known about this for years. And you know what? That's all the devil wants you to do. Just put it off another day. Put it off another day. He'll meet you with another excuse tomorrow. And then the day after that, he'll give you another excuse till you get to the end of your life and you die without Christ. Don't take that chance. Don't take that chance. What is he saying to you today? He wants to be your savior. He wants to give you eternal life. The decision is yours. Will you receive him? Will you come to him and let him be your savior? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And uh, Father, we, we pray for your people, Lord. Help us to learn from these things that your son said on the cross before he finished the work that he was called to do. Help us, Lord. Help us to make that determination. Help us to give our bodies a living sacrifice that nothing will detour, nothing will di distract. Nothing will cause us to get off track. And Lord, for that one without Christ, perhaps there are many this morning, help them to realize that he did all this for them, that they might be saved. Thank you that salvation is such a simple matter of turning to Christ and saying, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, just the way that penitent thief did. May they hear the sweet words Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Thank you for this assurance. Thank you for the blessing of the freeness of salvation. Thank you for Resurrection Sunday, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that death committed suicide. Thank you for the abolition of death by proclamation. And Lord, we have hope because of all these things that you've done for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 478. Number 478. If you're here this morning, you'd like to come and receive Christ as your personal Savior. You might have some questions. You might have some concerns. We'll have somebody here at the altar to work with you, to help you out. We're not here to get in your pocket. We're not here to get into your purse. We're not going to try to make a Baptist out of you. We just want to show you out of the Bible how you can be saved and have a word of prayer with you and let you get it settled. Christian, if you need to come and pray, talk to him about finishing the race. This would be a good time to do it as we sing.
Brother Sam Gipp, would you please close us in a word of prayer? Father, we sure thank you for your goodness, your grace, your very great kindness. And it is true, God, it wasn't just the death on the cross, Father. It's the resurrection that made it all special. Thank you, God. We are here because of your resurrection. God, there are people that visited church today. God bless them for coming. Maybe some of them didn't feel like coming, but they did. God bless them, really. Let make this special day for them. God, all these Christians, all your people, Father, who come, we get fed so regularly. We thank it. Thank you for that. God, I pray that you will bless us, that we then being blessed will turn around and glorify you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.